Well, take your Bibles uh, this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. Matthew and chapter number 28, as we stand in honor of God's Word here this morning. Sure is good to have guests here. There's individuals that have family and friends. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing to look out and see many. And got to meet some even before the service. And um, sure thankful to God for that. We're always glad to have guests here. It really is a blessing. And uh, thankful, of course, for it. And uh, we've been in a series in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, I checked the notes because I, I knew that it was right around this time that we started because we started Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 in conjunction uh, with the Christmas season about his genealogy of Jesus Christ and his birth. And then even into chapter number 2 about the men that came from the east uh, about two years later after his birth. And, and so um, anyways, that was, that was actually three years ago. Uh, at this time when we started that. And so here we are uh, three years later at his burial and his resurrection. And so it's a, it's a blessing. There's, there's some overlap. And so I look, to, look forward to pointing some of that out. Right now, let's just read the text. Matthew 28, Matthew 28 and uh, verse number one. And we'll read through verse number 15. <clears throat> In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, notice this, and sat upon it. <laughs> Uh, his countenance, it says, was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, the guards, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. <laughs> For he is risen. Notice this, as he said, he prophesied this, as he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee there you shall see him low or behold. He says this six times, by the way, in the first 20 verses of this chapter, um, Matthew does. He says, behold, low, behold, lower. The idea is here, look, look at this. Lo, I have told you, verse eight, and they departed quickly from the sepulcher. Notice this, with fear, with awe, uh, with astonishment, with fear, and great joy <laughs> and did run to bring his disciples word. Verse nine. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, <laughs> Jesus met them saying, all hell. As I studied that, if I could just interject here, because I'll probably forget to later, but 
the, the greeting here is actually pretty common, like, good morning. Hello. <laughs> Can you imagine? Jesus. <laughs> Just calmly greeting them. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Did you notice that he didn't refuse it? If he received worship, and only God should receive worship. Other times when a man, you know, like when Paul and Barnabas were worshipped by the men there that were confused, they said, stand up, we're just men. Jesus received worship indicating that he's God. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go, tell my brethren that they, may, that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Well, all that was going on, we'll read what happens now in verse 11. It says, now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. <laughs> How'd you know it was the disciples? We were asleep, but it was his disciples. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. We'll, we've got your back on this. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And we'll stop our reading there. And, and actually, we'll wait until um, the first part of January to get back to our series. And this actually, our theme for next year is in the next verses. So this works out providentially. Yeah, just right. Only God can orchestrate those things. That's a blessing. So this morning, um, I just felt like we needed to finish this because I, I didn't want to have Jesus in the tomb until next year. I mean, we need to preach about he's risen again. So the title of the message this morning is this, the tomb that points to eternal life. The tomb, the tomb, the irony even of that, the tomb that points to eternal life, finding joy in place of sorrow. Tidings of comfort and joy didn't just fit his birth. It goes to his resurrection. Father, we thank you for what we're about to consider. We've read the verses, interjected a little bit along the way, but God, I sure want to try to make it plain and clear and uh, pray for those that are not saved, that you'd help them to understand their great need of salvation. And then for the rest that are saved, help us to rejoice. But also, God, I am mindful that there's some that um, even this year been through some deep waters some sorrow, maybe even despair, like we read of these that came to the tomb came with that which they came. God, um, help us to get the sense of this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The tomb that points to eternal life. <clears throat> One individual that I read after as I studied for this <clears throat> message said human experience consistently confirms the fact 
that death is final and irreversible. Death is final and irreversible. Nothing changes this, nothing natural, that is. Death is final, irreversible. Nothing changes this, nothing natural, that is. Uh, 15 years ago, my dear dad went to heaven, passed away. It's hard to believe, 15 years ago. Um, we visited uh, yesterday with Miss Jenny Howard and her husband, Brother Dean Howard, went home to be with God, with the Lord, um, eight years ago, if I've got the time right in my mind. Brother Dean, Brother Dean, uh, um, it was gifted musically, sang a really deep bass. Many of you remember that Miss Jeannie played the piano here for many, many years, and and um, and I mean it was a it was a blessing in itself. Even the one of the quartets he was a part of, you had two father-in-laws and two son-in-laws. Hey, listen, that's a miracle. <laughs> there was harmony in more ways than one. But Brother Dean singing that. Deep bass, Brother Bobby Garrett singing a very unique tenor voice. It was beautiful. And, and Brother Phil told me, and Brother Wade rushing. Am I right about that? Is that the configuration, Brother Wade? And so anyway, it's hard to believe that Brother Dean, I, I didn't think that it had been that long, but eight years. And uh, they were married. I asked her, uh, how long were you married? 67 years, she named it quickly. Said it'd be, it would be, it would have been 75 if I did my math right and if I remember what she said right. You know, it's hard to believe how, those time, how time goes. But you know, the grave is final, um, humanly speaking, naturally speaking. Without supernatural intervention, that would be the end. I just read though this morning, in fact, I'll preach tonight out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body. For the believer is to be present with the Lord immediately. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory where you're purged. No, uh, you trust Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says at the moment that you breathe your last breath on this earth, you are immediately in the presence of God as a believer. Now, for those that have not been saved, they're immediately in hell. The Bible tells us, Jesus told us that, that the rich man who rejected God all his life. When he died, he was immediately in hell. So it's very important that we're clear about the matter of salvation even this morning. But death is final and the grave is irreversible. Nothing changes this. Generally, I'll go to see, go to my, um, the cemetery. See? There's tears. There's sorrow at those moments where you lay a loved one to rest, the body only. My grandparents buried there, my dad. But we don't sorrow as those that don't have hope. I couldn't help but think even this week about some that have uh, been through some really tough times this year. A loved one that's passed away, a spouse, uh, parents, um, and then other events of life, you know, just uh, some of the difficult things, changes, large and small. I mean, just uh, job changes, um, 
difficulty with children or grandchildren and just a, hope, a host of things. That if we were left without, let me say it this way. If Matthew 27 was the last chapter of Matthew, we'd have reason to despair. Or if Matthew, Mark 15 or Luke 23 or John 19, the four gospel accounts. If those were the last chapters and friends, we're here in vain. We have no hope. But I'm glad to preach and looking forward to kind of getting into it. Preaching the fact that there's a chapter 28 that comes after chapter 27. And other religious leaders through the years are still dead and in the grave. But our Savior, dear friend, is not in the grave, but he's alive. While we were there in, in Israel, have I mentioned that we went to Israel? I think I've mentioned that a few times this year. I'm sorry. Well, really, I'm not. But uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to have gone. And, and while we were there, we went to a place where it's said to be the, the tomb of David, as we read in, in, um, in Acts chapter number two, that David is there to this day. So what he wrote about in Psalm 16 did not apply to himself. It applied rather to the anointed one, the promised one that would come to save us from our sins. It was applied to the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So in a sense, I visited the tomb of David and not sure about all the veracity even of that, but that's not my point. My point is we also went to another tomb, one in a beautiful garden. One that you had to go in, it was, the door was about maybe this wide and you'd go in uh, single file. We waited our turn to go in as many others did, but we saw nobody there because it was empty. The tomb of Jesus. We've been looking at in our study here, the events leading up to and during the crucifixion. You see, Jesus died on the cross. That's verifiable in history. That's spoken of right here in the gospel accounts. And, and the reason that he died was not because just because he was a man that would die like any other man. He died as no other man would ever die. He died God, very God, and man, very man, and he died for you and he died for me. Never get weary or tired of hearing the old story that Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. He was crucified there, not for crimes that he had committed, not for sins that he had done, but for our sins. We'll read tonight in chapter uh, 5 of, of 2 Corinthians that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. See. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the, the uh, Pharisee, uh, took care of the body of Jesus, whereas it maybe would have just been thrown into a grave with others as a common grave. But, but Joseph was a rich man and gave his own tomb and Jesus borrowed it for just three days and three nights. You see, Jesus had said that, that as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man, referring to himself, be in the grave three days and three nights. And we read about that and we saw those events leading up and we'd already read about and studied how that at the time that Jesus was crucified that the earth went dark for three hours. From noon until three, the earth shook violently with an earthquake. The veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. 
And all these events made the Pharisees a little bit nervous, I would say. I would say that night that they went to lay down in bed, that their head was still spinning with the events of the day. And, and maybe they woke up during the night and one of them went to somebody else's house and said, hey, we got to think about this because remember what that deceiver said. He said that on the third day he would rise again. We better make our way to Pilate. I know it's a Sabbath day. I know it's a, a special Sabbath. It's the Passover Sabbath. But we still, we got we to gotta break the law. Anybody seen any irony in that? These who are so much about the law said we've got to break the law by going into this Gentile and asking him to secure the tomb. And that they did. And Pilate said, fine, make it as sure as you can. And it's amazing to me. And I love how that Warren Wiersbe said that it's ironic that these two groups join forces essentially to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because they said, we got to make this as sure as we can. We got to make sure that his disciples don't come by night and steal his body and make it look like Make it look like he rose again from the dead like he said. Hey, listen, the Pharisees believed his words more than the disciples did. The disciples didn't believe that he would rise again. The women that came to the tomb, they were not coming there to see if he had indeed risen again. No, the Bible says in Luke's account, in Mark's account, that they came with spices to anoint his body. See, they, they didn't embalm as we do. And so to cover up the stench of a decaying body, they would, they would load that body or put on that body a lot of spices and uh, uh, that which would have an aroma to it to cover up that, that stench. And so Nicodemus had already done his part to do so. In fact, he did so in a grand way. But the ladies wanted to do their part. It's kind of like this, that even though you go to a funeral of a person that was well admired and appreciated and there's all these flowers, it's not like they need any more flowers, but the person who dearly loved them says, I got to do my part, even though they already have a bunch of flowers. Here it was that Jesus' body had already been anointed by Nicodemus, but the women said, no, we haven't done our part just yet. And so that night, as he was right before the, the evening fell, they watched and marked the grave. They marked the place where Jesus was buried so they could come back the next morning. Or sorry, that third day and, 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 and be after the Sabbath day, rather, to be able to take care of his body the rest of the way. And so I, I would imagine, though, that as the, uh, the soldiers were assigned to watch over the tomb, I'm sure some of them said, you know, I've never done this before. Guarding a tomb. Yeah, I mean, you, you can just imagine the, the talk between the men. This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Guarding a tomb to make sure that he doesn't get out or that nobody steals the body for three days. Three nights until Sunday morning, I got to be here. And they worked in shifts. Nothing happened that first watch. Nothing happened that second watch. Nothing happened that third watch. And on it went until Sunday morning. Friend, listen, something happened. Something unexpected. I mean, they were prepared, dear friend. They were prepared and ready to fend off any of the disciples that might come and try to steal the body. They were ready to fight men. But they never thought about an angel. They never seen one until that time. But the Bible says that that morning, I believe it was before, obviously, in fact, if you piece together John's account and with all the other accounts, that the stone was rolled away by the angel. Well, hang on just a minute. The angelic being comes and the earth shakes violently again. I'm sure those soldiers were thinking, good night. 
or good morning one, thinking, my soul, here we go again. The earth is shaking. This is the aftershock. And then they saw that angelic being. And whereas it had taken maybe three or four men of them to roll that massive stone in, in front of that door, that, that angel just rolled it aside and then sat down on it saying, that was easy. And those soldiers that were so strong and brave, the Bible says that they shook. Did you see that? They shook with fear. In fact, the word that they shook is the same word from which earthquake came. It's, in fact, it's the word from which we get our terminology like seismograph or seismology, the, the study of the earth shaking. They were shaking with fear and then they were like dead men. Couldn't move. Paralyzed with fear. Then the women came. The women came. Now, now wait a minute. Look, I, I got I to put it on pause. There's a lot of moving parts to this account. In fact, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all look at it from a different angle, which actually proves that what they wrote, they did not collaborate about. The Bible never, ever once contradicts itself. No, it's just like when a major event happens here in Oklahoma. If we have a storm, then you got David Payne giving his angle on. Are you following what I'm saying? And you got News, News 4, and you got Channel 5, and Damon Lane. I mean, all these, these, they're weighing in on it. And then this person in Chickasha saw this, and this person saw this, and this person saw this. They're all talking about the same storm, but they're looking at it from their angle. And from their angle, I mean, just like in Bowling Green, my hometown, a lot of storms going on around there yesterday. And this person said this, and this person said this. Well, it's the same event, but you got different angles on it. Listen, if they had collaborated and if they had stolen the body, then surely, surely they would have put the pieces of the story all together just like it was. Like it would have been like seamless. So listen, don't think that because, well, Matthew only mentions one angel and this other gospel account mentions two angels means that he got it wrong and he got it right. No, they both are right. He's looking at it from this angle. He's looking at it from that angle. Does that make sense to you? The wonderful thing here is that we have eyewitness account. I just watched a, a news clip on a 103-year-old man that was at Pearl Harbor when it happened. 103 years old. And the, the, uh, the National Park spokesman said, we can study all the details of what happened and we can come to some factual events of how it was. But when you have an eye, this is what he said. He didn't know he's helping me with my sermon. He said, when you have an eyewitness account and they weigh in on it, then you get the feeling and the sense of what it was like to be there when it happened. Hey, listen, dear friend, those soldiers that ran to the priest and they said what happened. Hey, don't you know they, they had a time explaining that one. I mean, the, evidently they left. I think the series of events would be this way. They may have at least gathered themselves enough to get up and move. And they left from the tomb and they ran to those, those chief priests and they busted the door and they said, he's gone. He's gone. Who stole him? That's what we can't explain. There was a violent earthquake, earthquake, and we saw an angelic being that rolled this. Multiple men saw this. They didn't fabricate this. They would have no reason to fabricate this. And when they said, we saw the stone rolled away and then he was gone. Where were the disciples? They weren't there. Okay, look. 
And ironically, what they had tried to prevent was now the story that they wanted told everywhere. Did everybody catch that? They didn't want it to be said. They, the last thing they needed was a resurrection rumor because they'd already had an earthquake and the earth going dark and all these things and the veil of the temple had been torn. The last thing they needed was a resurrection rumor. Well, the first thing they needed was an actual resurrection. But they paid these men to say that his disciples came while we were asleep and stole the body. And so you go around and you tell everybody that they laid their head down at night, every night since that time, knowing that they lied. Here they were, representatives of the law, lying and bribing. Those soldiers that took the money, laid down every night, knowing that they were telling a lie over and over and over again. Fighting in their minds against the truth. I'm just simply saying here this morning, there might be somebody here that, that you know the truth. You know that that Bible is God's word. And you know there's too much evidence here, friend. There's too much evidence in this account alone that proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know that you're a sinner. There's plenty of evidence on that one. All right, we don't, have to bring in a, we don't have to bring in a bunch of people to verify that you are a sinner, and I don't think so. I, I know that I'm a sinner, and my wife could verify that, and my boys could verify that. and Well, I mean, a lot of people could verify that, but that's not the point that I'm making here today, but it is a point with you that, listen, all of us have sinned. The Bible says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But listen, friend, I want to tell you the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the living Savior. You see, they went to the tomb there that morning, back to the, back to the scene of the tomb. They went to the tomb and, and they went there in sorrow. They went there in despair. They went there with confusion. They thought he would have been the king that would have set up the kingdom. They went there with great confusion. And you might be here this morning in despair. You might be here this morning in despair about yourself or in despair about what somebody else did or how this is going or that is going. And you may even be in a place of confusion, confusing life circumstances in your own, maybe even of your own making, or confused about religion and confused about what's going on in the world. Hey, listen, all you need to do, know and all you need to do is recognize there's a living Savior. And sorrow is turned to joy. And confusion is turned to clarity. And defeat is turned to victory. How, how long do you want to go on this? I'm just simply saying, the risen Savior changes everything. Amen. The Bible says that Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary. Luke says there's two other women that were there. So there's a host of women that was there. Matthew only mentions the two. Mary Magdalene was a woman that had had seven demonic beings inhabiting her body. But Jesus had commanded them to leave and he saved her life. No wonder she was at that tomb. Showing her love for him who had done so much already in his life, in her life rather. And she got there to that tomb. And according to John's gospel, if you piece this all together, she saw the stone rolled away and she understood that the tomb was empty. And she left immediately to go tell Peter and John that somebody has moved the body. We don't know where he is. That's what happened with Mary Magdalene. She left immediately. How do you know that? Well, John chapter 20, it also has her coming back and she's weeping and she hears a voice behind her and she thinks it's the gardener, but it's not. Because he called her by name and he said, Mary. 
and she turned around and it was Jesus. The other women, they stayed behind. Mary left, they stayed behind. And the angelic beings, being spoke to them and said, fear not. Why do you think they said that? Well, what would you do if you saw an angel? <laughs> fear not. Fear not. You know, that, that kind of made my mind go back to Luke chapter number two and Matthew chapter number one is the angel of the Lord. There's some parallel right here. The angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph saying, fear not, Joseph, because she's with child of the Holy Ghost and his name shall be called Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. The angel announced his, his birth and the angel announced to those shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see, that's your greatest need today as a Savior. So I love the Christmas card, don't you, that, that says this. If our greatest need had been, had been money, he would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need was political, he would have sent just a political figure. But our greatest need is forgiveness. Therefore, he sent the Savior. Amen. Now, the card says it better than what I just said it. But the truth is still there. Fear not, he verifies the location. I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. You're at the right too. But he is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place, is the first garden tomb tour. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Oh, that made my mind go back to the angels that said to the shepherds, come, see the place where the Lord lay, where he lays in that manger. But listen, friend, he didn't stay in the manger. He lived a sinless life. And then he was crucified on an old rugged cross for your sins and mine. And he lay in that tomb three days, three nights. But on that third day, he came forth alive. Amen. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Behold, he goes before you to Galilee. You say, why does he say that? Because he also shows up to them even before that in Jerusalem, right? That he does several times, several people, several scenarios. He even showed up on a Sunday night Baptist church service when they weren't expecting the Lord to show up. But he says, I go before you to Galilee. Galilee was far to the north. It would have taken them some time to get up there. He would have been there like that. I go before you to Galilee. Matthew chapter four talks about Galilee of the Gentiles. You know why, you know why Jesus is gonna make a point there? We're gonna pick it up at the first of the year. He's gonna meet with them in Galilee of the Gentiles, which means non-Jews, which means us, because he came not just to be the savior of the Jews, he came to be the savior of the whole world. In fact, he came to be your savior. He says, I've got a very important message to deliver to my disciples, but I want to do it in a very special location. Let's go back to where we started, Galilee of the Gentiles. If you don't mind to wait about a month, we'll get back to that. But this morning, what you need to know is he's alive just like he said he was. And thus, here's the message. The sorrow was turned to joy because a living Savior offers hope. Hope. A living Savior offers hope. Not hope like, oh man, I hope, 
I hope that my team wins this afternoon. No, they probably won't. <laughs> I'm talking about hope, like what the Bible calls hope. And that means this assurance that his word is right and can be trusted. Amen. Hope. A living savior offers real hope. And that's why when we met with Miss Jenny Howard yesterday, and there were some tears mingled in with our time together, but there was hope there. I'm going to see my husband again. But even more so, I'm going to see my Savior. Amen. Hope. I want to ask you this morning, do you have that hope? If you're saved today, you're born again, you've believed or trusted Jesus, not just about him, but you've trusted him and what he did on Calvary and the fact of the resurrection. You're trusting him and that gospel for your salvation. Then according to the word, you have that hope, Amen. a living hope. I imagine there's some lonely days for a widow, a widower. But you know what I heard Miss Jenny say yesterday? The Lord's with me here every day. And we have fellowship every day. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that she misses her husband. You understand that. And there's dear folks here this morning. Some whose wife passed away, went to heaven this year. Can I say to you, on the authority of the Word of God here today, a living Savior means there's hope. And if there's hope, there's help. Some of you in the midst of a trial, and I don't guess I need to go into the specifics of maybe some of those trials, but let me, let me ask it to you this way. Maybe even it's some struggles you've had in your own personal being and some things you're struggling to get over. Where would you be without a living Savior? If it was just all up to you, if your salvation was just up to you or your growth and change and overcoming that vice was up to you and your ability, where would you be? Well, I'll tell you where you'd be, where the rest of the world is. But since there's a living Savior, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope beyond the grave. There's eternal life. We go to a tomb to know that there's eternal life. How ironic and yet how biblical that the empty tomb means there's a living Savior. And living Savior means there is eternal life. And he's willing to save you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes here with me today and let's stand together as we prepare for an invitation. Hope is found in a living Savior. I remember the song story uh, to Because He Lives. The second verse talks about how sweet to hold a newborn baby. Well, during the years there, as the Gaithers wrote that, the 1970s or so, troublesome times in our nation. Many were saying it's not a good idea to bring a baby into this world. But because he lives, this child can face tomorrow. Hey, from the birth to the grave, 
there's hope because of a living Savior. And beyond the grave. I don't know today if you're struggling with despair or sorrow or if you're not saved, whatever it is today, I, I know the living Savior wants to meet you here at this altar. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then we're going to have an invitation. We're going to sing page 505, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And as we sing, I want to invite you to come. I want to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, would you trust Him? He's not a dead religious leader. He's a living Savior. If you're a believer today and you're struggling, He's alive, friend. There's hope. There's help. So, Father, thank you for the truth of the resurrection. It was just so refreshing to study it, be reminded of its truths. But those truths must be applied. It's not just to be read, sung about, or preached, but it's to be applied. And so, God, I pray that you'd help today that we might apply the truth of the resurrection. It certainly does apply to every situation that's represented here today. And I praise you for that. Now, help those that need to come to respond to your offer of salvation. I pray that you'd help them to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.